Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Well, I think it's fair to say that anyone who watched the shocking video last week of University of Florida basketball star Keontae Johnson, when he seemingly passed out and then collapsed and fell faced first on the court, we all held our breath and we said a prayer for this young man. Now, I'm glad to report that uh, he's doing much better, although he is still in the hospital and he's still recuperating. And no one has given a precise statement as to what caused this medical concern. But of course, in this day and age of COVID, uh, we keep hearing concerns about whether the possible side effects of having COVID is that the individual may end up with a case of myocarditis, which can be very serious when it comes to one's heart. And by all reports I've read, uh, Johnson did have uh, COVID this past summer. Now, back in late August, I had asked Dr. Franklin Zimmerman, the noted cardiologist, to come on the show and to specifically discuss what myocarditis is and why it seems that younger people, particularly high school, college-age kids, may be more prone to this condition. Uh, Dr. Franklin Zimmerman is the Senior Attending Cardiologist, Director of Cardiac Rehabilitation at Phelps Memorial Hospital, Northwell Health, in Sleepy Hollow, New York. And I asked Dr. Z to come back on the show again this morning to talk about some of the advances that the, the medical world has made in terms of treating COVID in recent months, and to talk about what might have caused uh, Keontae's collapse during the basketball game. And naturally, we want to know that, uh, what the parents and athletes, what they need to know about a possible link between COVID and myocarditis. And we'll take calls, of course, at one 337 6666 Dr. Zimmerman, it's good to talk with you again, and thank you for coming back on the show. Hello, Rick. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Th- thank you. Now, let's go right into this, because there's a lot of ground to cover. When I saw the video of Johnson on the floor, and then hearing that he had had COVID this past summer, naturally I began to wonder about any sort of connection between COVID and myocarditis. The New York Times recently reported that at least 6,600 college athletes have had COVID this past year, and they admit there are probably lots more that, uh, cases which went unreported. Uh, and, and friends, before we get into our discussion with Dr. Z, uh, uh, let's be very candid about this. The, the family, Keontae's family, 
uh, and the University of Florida, they have not released any details that I've seen about what happened to him. Uh, and I want to make it very clear that uh, we're just, at this point, just uh, speculating on what we saw from the video and what we heard in the various media reports. So, Dr. Zimmerman, let's get into this. What, what exactly, again, is the relationship between myocarditis and COVID? Well, it's, um, there is a relationship from the heart and the lung. The coronavirus, COVID infection, is still predominantly, nothing has changed in that it's a respiratory um, uh, illness of varying degrees. Uh, you know, as you know, that there's most, most people who are infected with COVID uh, have either no symptoms, asymptomatic, which of course promotes the spread because you mm -hmm. don't know who's infected. Right. Uh, a large percentage have mild. And then, of course, we were seeing, uh, thankfully, it's a bit less now, uh, particularly in March and April, we were seeing certainly the hospitalized patients with moderate and severe disease. And as, as I've mentioned before, it, it sounds like a joke, but it's not. You know, the heart bone is connected to the lung bone, and and the, the therefore that when when um, when the lung is involved, which is what this illness predominantly is, uh, the the heart certainly can be affected. Now, the uh, as we mentioned in the previous interview, it's important to distinguish myocardial injury from myocarditis, which is a very specific. Uh, diagnosis and the analogy we used before is that uh, a, a brain injury can either be a skull fracture, a concussion, or a stroke. Those are all very different forms of brain injury, but they're very, very different. Very different, even though they all fun, fall into the same category. Uh -huh. Now, to answer your question a little bit more specifically, is that myocardial injury, which we detect from blood tests and other tests in, in our hospitalized patients, is fairly common. Perhaps 20 to 30 percent of our hospitalized patients may have some detection of myocardial injury. Uh, that doesn't mean that there's an actual myocardial dysfunction, and it certainly doesn't mean there's a specific diagnosis of myocarditis, which probably exists, but uh, thankfully that seems to be quite rare, quite rare, where there's a direct specific link to the heart from the virus with really no, no other major symptoms there. So that's, that's some good news. Okay, so if I'm hearing you correctly, you're, you're, you're suggesting that the, the link between having COVID and then that resulting, in other words, if, if a kid has COVID, uh, it, it's almost, it's safe to say that it's fairly rare that that kid is going to then suffer from myocarditis. That even is though correct. That okay. is correct. I mean, we've known that that has happened in certain cases uh, this past summer with uh, the Red Sox pitcher uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. He had COVID. He was, you know, quarantined. He got better. He went back to pitch, said he didn't feel well. And then all of a sudden they did some more tests and found that he, didn't have, he had myocarditis. So he was shut down for the rest of the summer. Right. And that's exactly right. Those specific, that's one of the clues that we use for people, um, the individuals that have had COVID, yeah. uh, if they've recovered and then they start to resume their activities and they have some symptoms, well, you have to pay attention to those. Take that seriously. And Eduardo de Rodriguez did have some symptoms uh, that I read on the mound, and uh, they shut him down because he must have had, again, we haven't treated him, obviously I haven't treated him, and the reports are fairly uh, scanty. Uh, that he had some dysfunction, and they appropriately followed what we call myocarditis protocols, and protocols call for that individual being shut down for three to six months before even starting to reevaluate them.
Okay, let, let's hold that off the time being. Let's get back to the case at hand with Keontae Johnson, the kid who collapsed on the basketball court uh, last week. You said to me the other day that you thought it was noteworthy when the medical staff got to Johnson. It didn't seem that they were giving him CPR. Uh, and, that, and they just basically got him on the stretcher and, and wheeled him off to get uh, more attention. But the fact that they weren't giving him CPR, what does that suggest to you about uh, his, his medical condition at that time? Yeah, I think, I think that's a very interesting point, which differentiates this situation from some of the other uh, uh, scenarios that have also been very, very uh, dramatic. The um, Number one, I think it's very important that we don't diagnose him over the Internet or over YouTube, but uh, there's a few things I think that are, that are fair to say. And one of them is that he had COVID. Uh, by all accounts, he did, and a number of his teammates. Uh, I think it's fair to say that they followed SEC guidelines for return to play. And then it's fair to say what we did see on uh, YouTube and other, and other uh, published reports on, on media is that he collapsed, uh, he, and, and after the collapse, he appeared to be unconscious. Certainly, he maintained loss of consciousness, but not that I saw or any reports. They were not giving him CPR. They did not defibrillate him. That was not required. He was simply taken out on a stretcher, still unconscious, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the differential, again, not, not having examined the young man, is that he could have either had a rapid heartbeat that was transient or a slow heartbeat or it could have been something neurologic even a seizure or frankly with something i thought about even this morning could have been both because he he struck his head she went straight down so he could have had something cardiac and arrhythmia irregular heartbeat and then suffered a concussion Uh so that so that you know all all potential diagnosis but again it is very good news uh, that we can say as far as we can tell he did not require uh, having the pads, putting him on the automatic defibrillator, and they did not give him CPR. And that's very different than some of the other uh, athletic tragedies we've seen. Okay. Uh, I, I have lots of more questions about uh, what happened to Johnson and why he was placed in a medical coma and so on and so forth. But we, I have to take a timeout. We're talking this morning, obviously, about uh, Keontae Johnson. and um, We're talking about what happened and how this all sort of uh, fits into our concerns about myocarditis, COVID. Uh, I also want to talk about what happened to Kent Gathers, Reggie Lewis, uh, some years ago when they both passed out, or passed out and died from heart issues. Uh, but again, we have to take a timeout. one 337 When I return with Dr. Franklin Zimmerman, uh, I'll take some calls as well. Stay with me. Sports Radio 101.9 FM, we're talking this morning with Dr. Franklin Zimmerman about COVID, myocarditis, and what may have happened to Keontae Johnson of the University of Florida last week. And we're taking your calls at one 337 6666 Before the break, Dr. Z, I mentioned that, uh, that Johnson had been placed in a medical coma. Uh, what would that suggest to you? You know, I, I wondered about that. I'm not sure what really what that means. The... Um that can mean anything from just that he was sedated. Uh, you know, that the, the term medically induced coma is, is a very, very generic uh, term. Uh, we, we, that's routinely the term used when someone's on a ventilator and they're simply sedated so that they're, they're not awake either for their comfort or to, to do certain procedures, et cetera. 
Uh, he was evidently, by all accounts, rapidly removed from that. Um, so that, I think, is really speculative. There was one comment from his grandfather that uh, that said, quote, there was some brain activity, unquote. Uh, you know, obviously, we don't know what that means. So the fact that it was um, initiated and then removed so quickly, I think is a very good sign. And we just don't know the answer and probably should not speculate. Uh, okay. I mean, I got, that, that surprised me as well. I don't know what that suggested. But, uh, and again, we, we, they're, the University of Florida and, and the family have been very uh, quiet, which is very much their prerogative. Uh, it's really nobody's business except uh, theirs, and, and they're obviously been very quiet about what, what happened to, uh, to Keontae, and, and uh, we'll have to wait and see how things progress. But let's, we have a lot of calls, obviously. Let's, let's start uh, this morning with our friend Jack Smithlin over in Jersey. Hey, Jack, good morning. You're on the fan. How are you, Rick? And good, how are you, Dr. Zimmerman? Um, uh, always, always good listening to you, especially about this topic because you know I'm trying to I'm trying to familiarize myself with it. I've been reading a lot about it, being a college coach and a private coach. You know, on a kind of like stay on top of this. But I was I was reading I was reading an article, and it was actually a, a newsletter by Myocarditis Foundation. And in this article, you know, watching watching the video, and it was really unbelievable. I mean, it really kind of like brought tears to my eyes to see such a young guy um, just collapse on a court like that. But um, in this in this newsletter, and I'm going to just quote this, and it was said, "It most often affects now myocarditis. Most often affects otherwise healthy young athletic types." with the high-risk population being those of ages between puberty and early 30s. And it affects males twice as often as it does females. And that's the end of the quote. And then it goes on to talk about some of the symptoms of myocarditis. And it talks about it with being, with having a viral infection. And it says, number one, shortness of breath after exercise. Fatigue, sudden loss of consciousness, lightheadedness, chest pain, swelling in the joints and, and, and extremities. You know, and then it, then this this woman Carol um, Carolyn Barber wrote an article, and she's a doctor, and you know she she studies myocarditis. She said that according to some scientific reports, as many as seven percent and maybe higher of all deaths or related to myocarditis when when associated with a viral infection. Now, you know, watching this, anything, it could have caused anything. It could have been dehydrated, you know. It, it, anything could have caused it. But, it, you know, it, it kind of like warns me as a coach to really stay on top of it, to watch my athletes when we are working, you know, even though we can't work in large groups anymore for a while. But, you know, and hopefully this vaccine is going to help us. But... You know, I when watching it and thinking about these particular this particular situation and article in you know in Myocarditis Foundation newsletter, um, it kind of like seemed like it might be. And until you know until somebody comes forward and says what it is, it you know. But the scar tissue and 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 the thickening of the walls of the heart caused by the virus, which is what myocarditis I believe is is very dangerous and in my opinion this is only my opinion 
I think we should get our children tested because is it possible, and I'm asking you this question, is it possible for somebody that's asymptomatic that has the virus to actually form myocarditis? Yeah, that's a good question, Jack. Uh, Dr. Zerman, what, what about that? I mean, should parents have their kids uh, go through tests for, I don't know, what, the EKG or have an MRI of their heart? Well, what should they do? Or is it necessary? Well, you bring up a lot, Jack. You bring up a lot of, lot of good points. And uh, starting with point number one, uh, when, it, when an individual, a young athlete, has loss of consciousness during competition, you take that very seriously, and it can be uh, any number of diagnosis ranging from the most benign of dehydration, you're correct, to the most severe, which is uh, cardiomyopathy or myocarditis or other form of serious uh, electrical abnormality. So, yes, you take that very, very seriously. Uh, number two, myocarditis associated with COVID is, is still a bit of an unproven um, uh, uh, diagnosis, but myocarditis is not all that rare. I've seen many cases in my career, and yes, Jack, you, may, you mentioned the point that it's a vi by and large a viral uh, abnormality. That is correct. Viral myocarditis does exist, and I've seen many cases over the years. To answer one of your other questions in terms of uh, symptoms of myocarditis, yes, the information is correct in terms of shortness of breath, and chest discomfort, uh, and those are your key, sometimes cardiac arrhythmias, meaning irregular heartbeats, and those are your key uh, symptoms to be aware of. To answer the fourth question, and I'll be brief about this, is that, sh uh, that Rick brought up, should every young athlete be screened for, quote, myocarditis? The answer is no, uh, because number one, there's no test for that. That's an inflammation. The one of the things that has been that has changed over the years is is the type of screening that we should do for um, athletes in general. And and by the way, that's a large and controversial topic um, in terms of EKGs, echocardiograms, and and Rick, I'll pause there to uh, uh, let viewers and one of the other um, callers weigh in because that is a very very large uh, uh, discussion and somewhat controversial and different, by the way, in the U.S. versus Europe. Huh. Jack, thank you as always for the thoughts and, and for your questions. Uh, let's move on. Let's go to, uh, to Tim over in Eastchester. Good morning, Tim. You're on the fan. Good morning, Coach. Hey, Coach, I'm not an expert in this field, so I'm going to deviate slightly. First, yeah. I want to say that me and you share a day in common. That's Bastille Day. Um, <laughs> I also like to say that, you know, last couple of weeks you brought up Greg Marshall at Wichita State walking away with $8 million. Well, I'm sure you saw last week where the SEC and Disney signed a $3 billion contract. Yeah, I it's sure like, did. $3 billion, yeah, like, you know. Right. It's like monopoly money on steroids. It, it uh, just makes no sense anymore. Yes. And finally, Coach, I'd like to take this time to recognize something that you talk about, you said your father talked about, is educators and especially our teachers. My heart does go out to the parents and coaches and kids during this pandemic, but teachers need to be put on a pedestal that they deserve to, deserve to be put on and be recognized for what they're going through and what they're doing. So kudos to you and your programming. And once again, education is foremost the most important thing that we have to offer our kids. Tim, Coach, I, can, have, 
Have a great day. Thank you so much. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, You know, I I would tell you that uh, teachers, you know, God bless them all. They've been through through hell and back uh, taking care of our kids during this pandemic, and they are to be saluted and and clearly uh, very deserving of all of our thanks. Let's move quickly, uh, Dr. Z, over to, to Vernon in Manhattan. Hey, Vernon, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Erwin. How are you doing? Doc, I didn't ask this question. I heard it twice that happened on WOR. They had a person in the hospital who was a man, and uh, because of the covert uh, thing, they removed his leg, the whole leg. Is the heart maybe the problem? Maybe it was not blood pumping into the leg? Or what would cause something of a covert to have a person's leg removed. That's my question. Have a nice day. Thanks, Vernon. An unusual question, uh, Dr. Z. What do you think? No, I ex- Vernon, I'm glad you asked that question because that is one of the major complications of severe COVID. Uh, and one that I did not uh, talk about is that our, our severely ill patients, they have what we call is a, is a super inflammatory response, the term is cytokine storm. And part of the, the aspects of that is, is a Prothrombotic, meaning clot promoting, clot promoting uh, system uh, state, such that we have seen, including young people with strokes, young people with clots of the veins, we call it deep vein thrombosis, and then pulmonary embolism, which means the clot goes to the lung, and arterial thrombosis, meaning that in the arteries, not the veins, such that um, the extremities become uh, blood flow is interrupted and losing limbs, and that's a severe, severe complication. Those are the ones we worry about the most because it's so difficult to interrupt. One of the things that our our early therapies in our severe COVID, which we're doing now, which we did not do in in March because we didn't recognize it, we've learned a lot in the past six months, is using more, um, more frequently and early on powerful anticoagulants in an attempt to prevent this complication. But Vernon, you are correct. That is one of the, the dreaded complications of COVID. Let me, let me stop you there. Uh, we have to take a, a break. Uh, when we return, uh, we'll take more calls for Dr. Zimmerman talking about what happened to Keontae Johnson and what parents need to know about their kids in sports. Let's take a timeout. Uh, Seth Kanner has your update. When we return, we'll go back to this very important topic. Back here on the Sports Edge, my guest this morning is Dr. Franklin Zimmerman, Senior Attending Cardiologist Director of Cardiac Rehabilitation at Phelps Memorial Hospital, Northwell Health in Sleepy Hollow, New York. And uh, before we get back to the calls, uh, I did mention early on, Dr. Z, you know, when it comes to young athletes and and having issues with their hearts, uh, the two in particular uh, cases that come to mind, tragic cases, uh, one was Hank Gathers, the top collegiate scorer at Loyola Marymount, uh, and also, of course, Reggie Lewis of the Celtics. Uh, both these guys were obviously at the top of their game, and they both died of, of I guess, heart attacks, for lack of a better term. Uh, we have not mentioned this uh, condition, hypertrophic uh, cardiomyopathy, uh, and I just want to get from your opinion, is that something that is, should be concerned here with uh, Keontae Johnson, or, or do we think the, the Gathers and Lewis cases were, were totally unrelated in terms of their heart ailments? No, I think that's a good, I, that is exactly the type of thing they're going to be looking at. Uh, you know, we mentioned that he had COVID, which may be a total coincidence. 
when someone does have a loss of consciousness, one of the key, di- and frankly, the most common diagnosis among, among athletes are hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Now, for your, for your listeners, what that is, uh, cardiomyopathy is simply a general term meaning sick heart, you know, some abnormality of the heart. And hypertrophic means that a portion of the heart muscle is inappropriately thick. And that predisposes the individual to cardiac arrhythmias, irregular heartbeats, which can be lethal. Um, and any form of sick heart can lead to an arrhythmia. Hank uh, gathers um, had what we call a dilated cardiomyopathy, meaning he had an enlarged heart that was not thick. Uh, and there are other diagnoses like Marfan, especially in young athletes, particularly basketball players, Flo, Flo Hyman, uh, mm. the volleyball player. She had Marfan syndrome and mm-hmm. had an aortic tear. And much less likely, um, you can have coronary disease in a young person. Now, that's very unlikely. Uh, Daryl Kyle, remember the, uh, the pitcher for the Cardinals? Yes. Uh, he, would, he died suddenly, died in his sleep. But to, to answer your question, yes, the hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, an abnormal thickened heart, is one of the key diagnoses. One of the good news is, is that that's pretty... I don't want to say easy to diagnose because athletes have changes in their heart muscle that are sometimes difficult to distinguish from this condition. Um, but, um, but they'll be looking at him right away with an echocardiogram and I suspect a cardiac MRI. Okay, let's, uh, uh, you know, obviously, as you said, we, we don't know what happened here in terms of Johnson and what, the, what they've come up with in terms of doing their testing, whatever. So we'll have to wait and see, uh, see what happens. But clearly there are these concerns that have obviously have had serious uh, and deadly effects on, on athletes over the years. Uh, let's go back to our calls. Uh, let's go to North uh, Massapequa. Frank has been standing by. Hey, Frank, good morning. You're next up on the fan. Good morning, guys, and I appreciate this conversation. You know, and uh, it's a, obviously a serious one, but I, a couple questions I have because um, my mom had some cardiac issues, so I became a sideline expert, not like you, Doc, but I pretty much understand everything you've been saying. Uh, but my question is just for some people who might not have, and thank God they don't go through uh, what people have gone through, but the likelihood is, it seems like there was a big vascular issue back in March and April, which was really sending people, you know, to their graves or to the intensive care. That has suddenly dropped off after those two horrific months. Was there any reason for that? Is it just a different uh, court of procedure guys were uh, doing, or is just was it just uh, the way things developed with this with this virus, or you know, because I spoke to my cardiologist, to, you know, I was just as afraid as everybody else. I'm curious your opinion on what do you think, um, like, what changed, if any? If you any know, that's, a, that's a very, very good question. You know, when this, this obviously hit us, um, and it says a ton of bricks in March and April, I mean, we went through hell. Uh, and my goodness, those nurses and hospitalists and ER docs, I mean, they bore the brunt of, of this. And, you know, and, and the first responders, my goodness, we have to mention them as well. Uh, and... And your question is valid because the virus hasn't changed. What's changed is that we, we have gotten better at recognizing, um, again, that those the clotting problems, the thrombosis problems. We've learned what doesn't work, 
Uh, early on, we were giving things like azithromycin, hydroxychloroquine. Politics aside, we were trying to do something, and we didn't have any tools in our toolbox. Now, there, uh, we are to our, for our sickest patients, we are giving steroids, dexamethasone. That's been a change. We are, uh, there are some, without getting into all the various treatments, uh, there are, we do have some options uh, for treating the hospitalized and moderate patients. We're better at that. Uh, we've learned who gets on a, who should be on a ventilator and who should not be on a ventilator. We've done a much, much better job about that. And, um, so we have had some aspects, and I will tell you this, as Rick mentioned, we're all very excited about the, the release of these two vaccines and more to come. Uh, I haven't gotten mine yet, but uh, I can't wait. Uh, we've just started at our hospital to administer the um, vaccines, uh, you know, group by group. So I can't wait. Frank, thank you for your call and, and for your questions. Um, let's, let's move on. Let's go to uh, Louie over in Lindbrook. Hey, Louie. Good morning. You're on the fan. Louie, you there? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Hi, Lou. Go ahead. Hey, Rick. I want to thank you for giving public awareness to such important life topics every week. Oh, I have, yeah. uh, I have uh, two questions, actually, for the doctor. Sure. One is, uh, if you have allergies, should you take the COVID vaccine? And my second question is, I have a lot of friends, 75% of them are actually coaches, like myself. I've been coaching college, soccer, and lacrosse over 30 years. They don't want to take the vaccine. Could you tell them? Why they're stupid and they should take the vaccine? Uh, I won't say that they're stupid, but they should take the vaccine. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, I mean, why? I mean, I, I find that you know, well, you know, some people don't trust government these days. But uh, but frankly, I we, everything. Let's put it this way: looking back, everything that people that Dr. Fauci predicted is going to happen has happened. And for people that get out and say that, well, you know, th- th- some of the recommendations have changed. Of course they've changed. Let's use a sports analogy. This is you, you, at halftime, you learn what the defense is doing. You learn what your opponent, and this time our opponent is a virus. You learn what your opponent is doing, and you, and you try to adapt. And it's frankly, we, we have to learn from history. People should go out and read John Barry's book on the great influenza because, boy, is it that we're going through the same thing. Now, in fact, there was a terrific piece on CNN last night that there were anti-vaxxers and anti-mask people in 1918. Well, uh, those who don't learn from history are, are, are doomed to repeat it. So that's my view on that. Louis, I, I, I hear you. And, and you know, it's... Uh... Uh, it is obviously something that, uh, as Dr. C just mentioned, um, people obviously have to make choices in life. But boy, oh boy, this not to not to get vaccinated, you're really playing with fire. It's as simple as that. Um, Lou, stay well, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's go to uh, let's go to Jerry in Brooklyn. Good morning, Jerry. You're next up on the fan. Good morning. Um, by the way, regarding anti-mask. For those people that don't like to wear and breathe through a mask, my guess is that they would like it even less breathing through a ventilator. Mm. It still boggles my mind today. Uh, Dr. Zimmerman, thank you for taking uh, my call. Um, I know we've been talking about uh, myocarditis uh, with the heart. Um, I read a report, I don't know if it's true, uh, that came out of China. They did a follow-up study on people that recovered from virus from the virus and a lot of them were young people, and they stated that those young people 
lost 20% of their pulmonary lung function. Um, do you think that that's true? And, and do you expect long-term uh, problems from this virus uh, regarding or maybe all of our organs in our body? Um, and uh, that's all I wanted to say. Thanks, guys. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks, Jerry. That's a, that's another good question. Uh, what what do we? I mean, I know it's still early, and it's hard to. We're just trying to get through the the, the immediate battle. But is it possible there's going to be long range concerns with this virus? Yes, uh, I think there's no doubt. You know, we sort of call it COVID lung, quote unquote. Uh, that is that's frankly. I think much more common. Uh, you know, it is, again, as we mentioned, it's a primary a pulmonary, meaning lung illness. And yes, when you look at CAT scans and chest x-ray, there's scar tissue there. Yes, you can recover. But long-term damage of the lungs is a real concern. And remember, one of the other callers mentioned about shortness of breath. Well, shortness of breath can be either cardiac or pulmonary or sometimes some other abnormalities. So absolutely, that's one of the main concerns of long-term scar, scarring of the lungs, yes. Well, let me ask you about that uh, because, um, yeah, I mean, that's something that um, I think all, all sports parents, coaches, everybody are concerned about that. Okay, we, we've gotten through the, the hurdle, let's say, we got to everybody get vaccinated, but you're suggesting there may be some long-term concerns uh, in terms of uh, lungs and being scarred, and you said that people can heal from that or get better, but just how serious is this, uh, is, should this be, this concern? Yeah, it's a real concern. Now, thankfully, those, the people that seem to have the long, the more longer-term lungs uh, sequelae or complications are those that were very sick to begin with. Now, remember, oh. most of our, particularly in young people, they're not that sick. Right. And you can even have some symptoms of some significance. Uh, remember, Freddie Freeman uh, had pretty bad COVID at the beginning of the season. He won the NL MVP. Yes. So, you know, you really can make a good recovery from that. So that's not to say that everyone's going to get that. That's a good example. Freeman, of course, had a great year again. Uh, but uh, you remember the reports that came out, he was said, man, this is this really knocked him for a loop. Simple as that. Uh, and I just want to emphasize again, because I know this is important. You meant, mentioned this early on, Dr. Z, about the fact that you can basically uh, – divide the, the groups into four, or COVID cases, into four stages. The first being individuals who are asymptomatic, who have no real medical concern. And again, we're focusing this right now on, on primarily you know teenagers and kids in their early 20s. Then there's the mildly symptomatic. Um, again, not really a concern from a medical issue. But then if somebody has some, really does show some symptoms, they should be admitted to a hospital. And then someone who was really ill with COVID, they, they have to really get a medical attention right away and often end up in an ICU. Is that, is that a pretty fair assessment of how you see all this? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. You know, asymptomatic, mild or, or limited, moderate and severe. That's, that's legitimate for sure. Okay, let me, uh, let me take a time out. Uh, when I return, I want to continue our conversation with Dr. Franklin Zimmerman about COVID and what pa sports parents and coaches need to know. And we'll take some more calls as well at one 337 Don't forget, you can always go to uh, my website, askcoachwolf.com, for all sorts of sports parenting columns, uh, various resources, books on sports parenting issues. And, of course, you can follow me on hashtag uh, on Twitter on hashtag AskCoachWolf. Uh, 
don't forget, next Sunday we go back to a 7 a.m. start. Uh, we'll be on the air from 7 to 8 next Sunday. Now, before we get back to our discussion with Dr. Zimmerman, uh, I, I do want to take a quick sidebar very quickly. I just want to add a, a quick note regarding the announcement this past week that Major League Baseball is now going to finally recognize the old Negro Leagues and will include the stats from those great ball players and will include them into the official Major League record book. Let me tell you a quick story. When I was a kid and becoming aware of big leaguers and how good they were, my dad would tell me about some of the black baseball players he used to watch when he was a kid growing up. Guys like Josh Gibson, Cool Papa Bell, Satchel Paige, and so on. Dad saw these fellows play numerous times, sometimes in Yankee Stadium. My dad grew up on Long Island and would make a trek uh, with his dad to Yankee Stadium. And sometimes in the late 1940s in Washington, D.C.'s old Griffith Stadium when my dad came back from World War II. In any event, the, the Negro Leaguers played in front of packed houses. Dad told me that these guys were not only amazing ballplayers, but they were clearly as good as, if not better, than the current white big leaguers. The only difference was, of course, the, the color of their skin. I kept all that in mind when, during the 1990s, I had the honor of serving as the editor of the Baseball Encyclopedia. Now, for those of you of a certain age, you'll recall that mammoth 3,000-page book, the Baseball Encyclopedia, listed the stats of every player and every pitcher who ever appeared in a major league game. But in the eighth edition, which was published in 1990, I, along with my editorial colleagues, Ken Samuelson, Bill Rosen, and Janine Busick, well, we decided to enlist the help of SABRE, the Society for American Baseball Research. I'm sure you've heard of SABRE. And for the first time ever, we included as many of the playing records and stats from the Negro Leagues into the baseball encyclopedia. Remember, this was back in 1990. And yes, many of the Negro League records were not complete, and we relied heavily on Sabre to go through the various newspaper accounts and box scores. But I and my colleagues felt strongly that the time had come to formally recognize these stellar ballplayers and to include as many of their records and stats in the baseball encyclopedia, and that's just what we did. Bottom line, well, if you still happen to have a copy of the baseball encyclopedia around, and especially the 8th edition from 1990, you'll find that, that the very first time more than 130 star players from the old Negro Leagues found their way into that huge book. Names like Turkey Stearns, Mule Suttles, Ernie Banks, Willie Mays, Buck Leonard, Elson Howard, Monty Irvin, Judy Johnson, Ray Dandridge, Joe Black, Bullet Joe Rogan, and so many other great ballplayers like Satchel Paige, Josh Gibson, and all the rest. So something that my colleagues and I are very proud of. It was clearly the right thing to do. And we're heartened to see that more than 30 years later, after the addition of the Negro Leagues into the baseball encyclopedia, Major League Baseball has also finally moved in the same direction. It is long overdue. Okay, let me move back to our conversation with Dr. Zimmerman, and let's go quickly to, uh, to uh, Dr. Rob Freed. Uh, Rob, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning. Thank you for getting me before the show on direct. Number one, thank you for everything this week, by the way, as well, and you know what I'm talking about. Doctor, uh, I'm a physician, and this show has been fabulous because with so much we don't know about COVID, and I just want to quickly go off of what Jerry brought up. I had COVID back in February, and this is why I called. Uh, had a cough, a, basically a severe cough for about two weeks. I'm, I'm a distance runner and, and an elite distance runner. I have been 
after finishing a race last week, which I happen to have won actually at my age, um, I started spitting up uh, in my sputum blood. And I've been worried about that. It doesn't happen on every run, but after extreme exertion post this COVID situation, I've never had that problem. Uh, you know, uh, it's been something that I'm noticing just sending some blood sputum coming out of my lungs. I don't have any other issues with it. Is this something that you're pretty much talking about, that we don't know the future of COVID? And will this – Is my lungs have been very dry since. I can't – I feel it's a little different since the post-symptoms. What's your thought on this, and is this something I should really get checked out with a pulmonologist? Well, sure. Thanks, Doc, for calling in, uh, and congratulations on getting back to your, uh, your running and, and your recovery. But, but the answer, the short answer is yes. Um, it doesn't mean it's something serious, but you should see a pulmonologist. I'm sure they'll, they'll order a CT scan of the lung just to make sure uh, you don't have any residual inflammatory uh, issues. So the, the answer is yes, you must be checked out. This is so important This because the bottom line is COVID is so new, and, and the medical profession, and you've given so much great information on various topics today, we don't know the long term. This is 10 months in, not even a year in that in the United States, and this is going to take years of studying and follow up and see if the lungs, you know, regenerate the cilia down there as well as the myocarditis. I, mean, I thought of Len Bias, and I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but that was a whole different issue with, with drugs. Well, Len Bias had, had, you know, had taken uh, over the... Right, he was on overdose. But, Rick, oh, thank no. you so much for grabbing me and, and getting me to, to ask my question to the doctor. Doctor, thanks again. Have a yeah. good one. Thanks, Doc. And, and Dr. Z, before we run out of time here, I do want to ask or bring this back to uh, to the Johnson kid at Florida. And I know you obviously are looking at this from afar, but the question I have is, okay, he's we've seen the video, he's talking, he's alert, he's awake, he's, he seems to be doing much, much better. I realize we don't know what the problem is, or he hasn't talked about it, or his family hasn't. What are the chances this kid's projected as a first-round draft choice in the NBA draft? Is, is, what are his chances of going back to playing basketball again, either later this year or, or down the road as, as a professional? Well, it depends totally, Rick, obviously, of what the diagnosis is. Uh, if, if he does have something structural with his heart, like we mentioned about the cardiomyopathy, that, that's a game-changer. Hopefully, uh, God willing, that he doesn't have anything really structural and it was some isolated event. Uh, that's different. So everything depends on in, on the status of his uh, of the actual um, heart structures, whether he has any of those diagnoses. And you know we can speculate forever, but I don't think we should. Yeah, it really is hard. Uh, I mean, uh, again, as I said early on, it, it's the, the, the right, and uh, we have to respect this of, uh, of the family. Uh, they don't want to talk about what's going on with their son and, and his uh, determination of, of what the causes are, or maybe they just don't know at this point. But uh, it is good, of course, to see that he's alert and talking and seem to be in pretty good spirits. But, uh, yeah, we had these history, particularly in basketball, of kids uh, who have these difficulties with uh, their, their cardiac situation, and, it, and some, sometimes it becomes tragic. At least in this case, the kid is, is alert and doing well. Right. Uh, but one thing we shouldn't do, and, that, and this is what the Internet explodes on, is that, oh, it's related to COVID myocarditis. And hopefully we sort of dispelled that uh, a little bit today. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, if there's one takeaway from our conversation today, is the fact that uh, we just can't 
immediately leap to the conclusion that, oh, this kid had COVID, therefore it's myocarditis, which is a serious problem for the heart. Uh, no, I think we've now dismissed that. There are other issues perhaps at play here, but until we know more from, uh, from, the, from uh, uh, Johnson and his family and, and the medical staff, we just can't really uh, speculate. Okay, Dr. Franklin Zimmerman, as always, my sincere thanks for getting up early on a Sunday morning to join us. This is such great information. As you heard from the callers, uh, they really appreciate your insights. Always a pleasure, Rick. Okay, thank you. Uh, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks this morning to Ed Arzuman. Um, don't forget, I'll see you next Sunday back at 7 a.m. Happy holidays to you and your family. Moose and Nick Costos are up next with You Better, You Bet. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.